You're listening to the North Peace Roundtable podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and the Christian life. Episode 79. Nice. You remember. Right? Well uh, done. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I uh, hope you're having a great week. I'm literally sitting basking in the sunlight right now. It's finally summer, it feels like, maybe. <laughs> We're getting there. But anyways, uh, thanks for tuning in. My name's Andrew. With me, as always, is Corland. Hello, hello. And Cameron is unable to join us today, so rest You in will peace. be missed. <laughs> but um, we have a great episode for you today. Uh, a great question that came in uh, that we're going to get to in a minute, but I wanted to really quickly uh, just kind of tie a bow on our conversation from last week. And so if you didn't listen... Um, you can go back and listen, but it was about uh, essentially head coverings and the passage in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul, where Paul – it's probably one of the most highly debated passages in the Bible. In modern like because Western churches. Because it's just so – there's so much in there that's like, what? I was even reading today where people uh, – in a commentary where it was like, okay, yeah, well, in the beginning of the passage where it talks about, um, you know, the, the head covering – well. well Maybe it can't be hair, and then later on, Paul says it's hair. Well, your hair is a covering, and, and people are like, uh, well, what is it? So yeah. anyways, it's funny to me. Never in a million years did would I think that that would be like a reoccurring, yeah. oh, well, maybe we should wear he- head coverings. Never in a million years would I have thought of that in North America, yeah. that that would be an issue that you're, we're like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to start wearing head coverings now. But such as life. So anyways, we kind of unpacked a lot of stuff, but one thing that I, some response that's comes that has come back is the idea of like, well, you're just saying that it's all cultural and that's convenient, isn't it? Or not, they didn't say it like that, but that's kind of the like, well, you're just, you're just kind of, yeah. The, your whole argument is, well, it was a different culture. And I've heard things like, well, we should just obey the Bible. It says it, so we should just do it. Yeah. And if there's confusion about it, let's err on the side of, well, let's just obey God. Let's throw a head covering on. Now, yeah. um, I completely disagree with that. And uh, you and me, Corlin, yesterday had a, a conversation where all of a sudden something clicked where it was like, Oh, yeah. So what are you preaching on coming up that brought this up? So coming up, I'm going to be preaching on John 13. So if you're not super familiar with the Gospel of John, that's the the beginning of that passage. The first 20 verses is where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Mm. I don't know how much detail you want me to get yeah, into. but um, not a whole lot. But yeah, so, so Jesus yeah goes through and he washes his disciples' feet. And then he says this. It says uh, in verse... Uh, 12, he asks them, like, do you guys understand what I've done? And then verse 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, uh, and you are right, and for so I am. Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. When is the last time you washed another believer's feet? We didn't even do it at our wedding. <laughs> the wedding. That's, that's just weird. So, But here's what's interesting. I would ask people listening for your argue, people's arguments where it's like, well, we should just wear head coverings because the Bible says it. We should culture obey has it. Very little culture. To do with who it. don't use the culture. So, when is the last time you, as a believer, washed another believer's feet? Because Jesus seems to command us. Yeah, you guys got to wash each other's feet. So it's the same kind of argument because we would go washing feet in our culture 
it's just we just don't do that yeah it's not that you cannot do it no like we could still obviously do that and we as christians would understand hopefully the symbolism sure yeah yeah so it's not that you can't do it i think you can do it and have it be very powerful but but well yeah the the meaning of it is lost in our day and age because the the whole point of washing feet is it was a cultural thing when you went to someone's house you they were expected to provide water yeah. foot washing was only something that a servant or a slave did like that that's why yeah. jesus doing it is so significant like yeah. oh a okay. teacher or a he's taking the place of a servant yeah and, and a lowly servant and not. yeah just think you would walk with sandals your feet would get so dirty and it was just a cultural i'm going over to Corlin's house for dinner i'm expected that there's going to be water for me to wash my hands and my feet and if Corlin has servants, they would do that for me. Yeah. Like none of that exists today. Yeah. One, we don't have servants or slaves. Um, here anyways. Sure. Here. Like, and we shouldn't because yep. you know what I mean? Yep. But it, like if, if Corlin, you came over to my house and I was like, oh, welcome. Would you mind taking your socks and shoes off? I'm just going to wash your feet. I'd probably leave. It would be like, this doesn't make any sense culturally. Yeah. And yet if you want to obey the Bible, Literally, word for word, Jesus tells you as a Christian, wash one another's feet. And yet, so so then culturally, what are ways that we obey this without literally washing each other's feet? Uh, I think quite plainly serving each other. I think yeah. Jesus is showing uh, a couple of things here. And one of them is that no task is too lowly for a follower of Christ. Yeah. So if we come across a task or come across something that we would normally say, well, I would, I'm not going to do that. Cause I can, there's someone else that isn't quite of the same status as me. There's somebody else that can do this. Mm-hmm. Instead, we as Christians should say, no, I can, I can serve in this way. Yeah. I will do that. Right. Yeah. I will, I will sacrifice uh, other people's uh, view of my reputation in light of sharing the gospel through this and serving people. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that's the principle that Jesus was, showing them I'm your teacher I'm your rabbi I'm your lord and I'm actually going to like put myself into the servant's position so I think when he says like okay do you understand what I've done for you now do it for each other and he he explains it really really straightforward right there's no there's not really any nuance to that passage in the explanation after his his is it in verse 12 where he says do you understand now yeah the explanation essentially goes yeah I am your lord and teacher you're right in saying that because I am so if I've done this for you, you too should do this. Slaves are not greater than their yeah. master and messengers are not greater than the person sending the message. Yep. Right. And and the illustration is meant to show like if you see it in someone who is leading your life, if you see a practice in there that is like yeah. this, you should do it too. Right. So I think it's just a really good reminder that. I know that as Christians, we're like, we want to read the Bible literally. We want to obey it. I get that. But the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, not to you. It was written to a Jewish culture. Yeah. And, and I know, and I'm not saying that the Bible's not for you. It's the Word of God. But Paul, you know, Mark, Matthew, they're Jewish men writing into a Jewish culture. Yeah. And there's practices that we go, that just doesn't translate yeah. But the principle, and that's yeah. what we were trying to get with head coverings. What yeah. is the principle f- for the idea of a woman covering her head, a man not covering his head? What What is what is yeah. God getting at? And are yeah. there things that we can obey? I'll just, I know this is not our t- 
topic, but it's just now we got me, got yeah, me going. Yeah. Another example, 1 Corinthians 16. Paul says to the church, and this is scripture, on the first day of every week, put something aside, store it up, um, and when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. When's the last time you set money aside each week and sent it to the church in Jerusalem? Never. Yeah. And yet we would go, but we're supposed to obey the Bible. Now, what's the principle there? Setting money aside to help brothers and sisters in Christ. We should all be doing that. Yep. But we're not obeying, yep. you know, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4 yeah. verbatim. And yet it's in there. It's scripture. We're supposed to send money to Jerusalem. So yeah. that's part of the work of like studying the Bible of, of knowing, okay, what is cultural? Paul's writing to a specific church in Corinth. That was instructions for them. But what can I learn from it, I guess? Yeah. So anyways, um, I just wanted to use those examples because it just yeah. helps when we look at a, a really tough passage uh, like uh, about head coverings, for instance. And we, I don't want it to seem like, I, I think it's actually a misstep to go, well, I don't understand it, so I'm just going to obey it. Yeah. Well, I yeah, I think, because I feel like with a conversation like this, it could be pretty easy to feel like, someone on the opposite side might be saying, well, it was all cultural still, right? Because that's that's kind of the, not the argument, it's not kind of the argument. What we're saying is context is, is key. Oh, totally, yeah. Right? So I think the, the question that both sides of like whether or not you want to take everything in the Bible literally or whether or not you think that principles can be taken from it and lived out, what you should be asking is, okay, so what is the context of this passage yeah. and does that affect us today? Yeah. Um, so something like the head coverings, what is the context? Well, you know, we know from historical documents and from other texts and stuff that head coverings were a normal part of their society to, sure. to be modest, right? In our culture, in North America specifically, that's not anything that we have to worry about here, right? Because our culture has changed. Now, does culture changing, and that's a whole nother discussion, but yeah, there's, there's questions there then where, you know, uh, you and I have talked before and said, honestly, the oftentimes if we're in a church where there is not a lot of women wearing head coverings, if there's someone wearing one, often it's more distracting than the women who aren't. Totally. Which then pulls attention away from the glory of God. Yeah. So like if you're, if you're backing it by saying, well, I want all glory to go to God and you're the only one wearing a head covering, then you're there's a chance I'm not going to say that no, you are, yeah. but there's a chance you're defeating the purpose by yeah. doing that. Yeah. So it, it's just things to weigh and consider, right? If you still feel convicted, then that's, you need to follow the convictions that God lays on your sure. heart. But yeah, just a, just a word of, I don't know, caution as you approach the Bible like that. Cause I, I've talked to people who are like, I'm just going to obey everything the Bible says. Yeah. Great. And awesome. Yeah. But just be careful doing that yeah. because that's what people have said, you know, end times discussions. Well, I'm not going to take uh, any kind of literary devices. I'm just going to read it and it is exactly, oh, okay, well, yeah. you're ignoring like really important things as you read Revelation and, and Daniel and yeah. to just say like, nope, it's I'm just going to read it literally because I believe the Bible. Well, you're actually not reading the Bible correctly. Like, yeah. anyways. That's not today's episode. <laughs> We're like, what, 10 minutes in? Yeah. Today's episode, uh, we got a question in, and uh, I'll just read the question. It's a doozy. It's great. What does the Bible say about polygamy? And so if you're not aware, polygamy is the idea of having more than one wife. 
Is it specifically one wife or yeah, just more than polyandry, one spouse? Polyandry is more than one husband. husband. Okay. Um, so polygamy is more than one spouse, or sometimes it's just called bigamy when you have more than one spouse. But polygamy, specifically wives. What does the Bible say about polygamy? I had a conversation with another Christian recently, and they said that the Bible doesn't outright say polygamy is wrong. I mentioned looking at God's original design for marriage was one man, one woman, that the Levitical law has do not commit adultery as one of the commands. Their argument was that there are multiple examples of polygamy with God's people in the Old Testament, and God doesn't speak against it. And in the New Testament, you could say that the church is a type of polygamy since we're all the bride of Christ. I mentioned that I think the moral failures of the people in the Old Testament are a great example of how God uses broken people and that just because there's examples, it doesn't condone it. However, I walked away feeling muddy. Do you have any thoughts? First of all, I, I think that's a good response is to, great to response. say that the moral failures are not a way of saying, well, that's good for us then. So yeah. that was a really good response. Um, I think I think secondly, uh, I would say this might surprise you, but I, there was a part in my life when I first returned to Christ, I struggled with a lot of sexual addiction and, and uh, mm-hmm. just horrible stuff. And I have to admit, there was a time that I would look in the Bible and be like, well, they got away with it. Why is it so wrong for me to to go along those lines? So I can uh, I can resonate with both sides of the question in the sense of understanding maybe where they're coming from on the basis of the question or yeah. the basis of, of the thought process. However, I, my thoughts are very different now than what yeah. they used to be. And it's a da- so a uh, couple of things. Uh, this person's right. The, not the person that asked the question. The person who's responding to the question. Well, yeah, but the person who said like, hey, the Bible doesn't outright say polygamy is wrong. Uh, correct. The yeah. Bible, no, there's no Bible verse that says you shall not have more than one wife. Yeah. Uh, but there's lots of examples where the Bible doesn't outright say something. The Bible does not outright say you should not have sex before marriage. Yeah. But there's lots of verses that you then kind of build. The Bible, the Bible doesn't outright say God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, and yet that's the work of like looking at different passages and putting together your theology of what you believe. So, when you come to a question like this, like like polygamy specifically, where where would you start in answering if you didn't? know an answer already like i know you and i have our own answers already but where where would you start to try and build a a framework for people who might not know exactly where to go to try and answer a question like this um yeah believe it or not uh google is a really helpful (laughs) it can be yeah yeah or i have like logos bible software and you can search different topics or there's like trusted websites you know, I don't just Google anything because then it's like, you know, Brad's webpage. Yeah, but look at yeah. cool, man. Yeah. But there's certain um, trusted websites that you could go to to kind of like uh, look things up, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, your answer to this person was spot on that um, I-, I would look at, okay, what is God's original design for marriage, which we see in Genesis um, 2? which is a man and a woman uh, joined together. Uh, and I know that um, that's not necessarily the strongest argument because it's kind of an argument from silence, but you see the pattern. Okay, God designs a man and a woman to be joined together, and that seems to be the pattern, right? And uh, this person's right. Like The first instance of polygamy is in Genesis 4, and it's a man named Lamech. 
but it's presented as not a great thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's Lamech took two wives for himself and then he he's bragging about, hey, I'm a murderer and I killed people. And so we shouldn't look at Lamech and go, oh, he seems like a really stand up guy. It's no, it's yeah. presented as the way it's worded is it's this seems off. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I agree. I think Genesis is a great place to start because a lot of what is laid out in the rest of scripture is set up in Genesis. And I don't just mean that by saying that Genesis says in the beginning, and then we can just assume, you know, everything in Genesis happens again, but it, a lot of patterns repeat itself in like from Genesis through the rest of scripture. So yeah, Mm. I think it's, I think it's very important that we see a man and a woman married and in the first marriage in Genesis two, um, and then we see the pattern continue on afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so when you're building a picture for whether or not something like polygamy, where the Bible doesn't just outright say, hey, this is wrong, it's really important to get the context of each passage and what's around it and to see. So uh, an example that I would give outside of just polygamy is uh, murder. We know from the Ten Commandments that murder is not good. But if you look in scripture, when Moses kills the Egyptian that is beating the other Hebrew, it, the Bible never outright says that he was wrong for doing that. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the context and what happens afterwards, we see that there is consequence for his murder and it's a negative consequence, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So then you can take those things and, and start to, to gain wisdom from looking at those outcomes and say, oh, like, I see that these yeah. things are not pleasing to God. I don't just need the Ten Commandments to tell me that this is wrong, right? Yeah, yeah I, that's that's a really good point. And so with the example of polygamy, yeah, nowhere does God outright condemn it. He seems to, in his sovereignty, allow it to happen. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that he approves of it. And actually, I, anytime you see stuff like that, it actually, for me, confirms that the Bible is true. Because if I was going to make up a religion and have kind of heroes of the faith like Abraham, Jacob, David, Solomon, who, by the way, all had multiple wives. I would try and clean up that, that story a little bit because it paints them in a really bad light. Yeah. And so the Bible sometimes, I wouldn't say sometimes like the Bible never says like God approves of polygamy, but it just shows like, this is what sinful human beings did. Yeah. And And they paid the consequences. So let's look at that. So Abraham had multiple wives. And how did it go for him? Terribly. And actually, it's seen as sin. Like, because, so Abraham and and Sarah, God says, I'm going to give you a son. And what happens? They take their their plan, the plan into their own hands. We're too old. Abraham, you sleep with Hagar uh, and have a son that way. And it's never presented as God going like, oh, I a, never thought of that. That was a good idea. It's presented as, you guys, why didn't you trust me? Yeah. Right? And so what happens after that? There's bitterness between Sarah and Hagar. They end up sending Hagar away, and she has her son Ishmael. And we're actually told, and I should have written down the passage, but now there's going to be fighting between Ishmael and um, Isaac for the rest of time, essentially. Yeah. And that's the Arabs and the Jews who have fought for the rest of time. So it's never presented as like, oh yeah, Abraham, you little scoundrel. You just did it your own way. It's like, you guys messed up big time. Yeah. So then you get to Jacob and he has multiple wives, Leah and Rachel. And is it presented as like, oh, 
oh, that's a good thing. No, it's awful. Yeah. Right. And Leah and Rachel hate each other and they're fighting over their husband and they have 12 kids all together and it leads to favoritism. It actually, I think that ultimately leads to Joseph being a spoiled brat hmm. and he's the favorite and then they try and kill him and send him to... So it's it's it causes terrible family but, yeah, issues. Yeah, so again, those are good examples where the Bible does not outright say, no. and they were wrong for doing this. Nope. But when you look at the course of events afterwards, right, you can see the negative outcome. And generally speaking, when you do something wrong, there is negative outcome. It's just a lo yeah. logical course of action, right? Yeah, totally. And then you get to David and Solomon, both who had um, multiple wives. Actually, it's interesting, David... Um, had multiple wives and then one of his daughters was raped by her half brother because of the different what it, and it's just like it's a mess. man this is not good and then yeah. solomon has 300 wives and 700 concubines and he's the wisest guy who ever lived and it says specifically that his wives led him away from the lord yeah and then i found this interesting if you want a verse that kind of shows how god actually somewhat views this Deuteronomy 17 God is giving kind of some guidelines for the kings that's the one I was looking for yeah and so he's like this is what's going to happen uh the king is going to do this and that and then he says in Deuteronomy 17 16 he must not acquire many horses for himself so there's one of the stipulations okay yep. as a king you shouldn't have tons of horses or cause the people to return to, to Egypt in order to acquire many horses and then verse 17 he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. So you go, what was God's view about that? Well, he tells us. Yeah. He said, the kings, you should not have many wives. Yeah. And so David and Solomon disobeyed. And God didn't outright just kill them like he could have. He yeah. shows grace. And in his sovereignty, he allowed that to happen. But we know how he feels about it. Yeah. He said, don't do that. And so if if you're... <clears throat> This often comes up. That's an Old Testament passage. Why does that apply to us today? That's about the kings. Why does that apply to us? Yeah, well, one, uh, that's I hate that argument. That's in the Old Testament. It doesn't apply. But because, but it's a question that people legitimately oh, sure. do ask. Yeah, right? I know that. So, yeah, but I think that's then saying, well, then we can just throw our Old Testaments out. Because mm -hmm. now I get it. Like, we don't follow every single... Um, law and ceremonial purity thing in the Old Testament because Jesus uh, fulfilled those things. Yeah. But it still shows us the heart of God. It still shows us his character. It speaks into, it, like, again, I just the way it's worded, well, that's Old Testament. What you're doing is you're pitting the Old Testament against the New Testament. Well, that's how God thought back then, and now he thinks mm. now. And it's like, mm, no. Yeah. God doesn't change, yeah, and yet Jesus comes and He fulfills all of these types of. Uh, he, well, He He says, "I f I fulfilled the law and the prophets," yeah. But we still don't murder. We still don't, uh, yeah. you know, steal. We still yeah. honor our mother and father. So there's there's laws that we still go, yeah, those still apply to us today. They're still applicable. Yeah. But you're right. We don't have kings. Like we don't. We're not a. We're not a monarchy. We're, we don't. We're not a, th a theocracy, right? That's what Israel was. Yeah. But it just kind of shows you, oh, okay, well, that was God's opinion yeah. about this. And then you get to the New Testament, and Jesus answers a question about divorce in um, Mark 10 and Matthew 19, and he quotes the Old Testament yeah. saying, well, haven't you heard? God created the male and female. 
and they are joined together. So he he goes back to the Genesis account and says, that's the pattern, right? Yeah. yeah. And then you have a bunch of different examples, like when Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about marriage, and it's all singular. It's yeah. one husband, one wife. Yep. You get to Paul's description about elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, and he says, husband of one wife. So there's, okay, well, that's the yeah. norm. Yeah. Okay, spiritual maturity, husband of one wife. So then you get all these New Testament examples where, yeah. again, Paul doesn't outright have to write a letter saying, hey, guys, polygamy is wrong because in what he writes, it's just seen as, okay, it seems like the normal is husband and wife, one wife, one husband yeah, together. So by design, it is not the norm to, to be in a polygamous relationship. Mm-hmm. By scripture's definition. So it's the same it's the same argument as slavery. Nowhere in the Old Testament does God ever say slavery is wrong. Yeah. And I've heard lots see the Bible condones slavery, but you're like, no, 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 no. No. Wait a second. As you look throughout the Old Testament, and we won't go into depth because I didn't write any of this down. <laughs> but as you look through the Old Testament, you see how slavery existed in the Middle East and how God seems to allow it. But it's way different for Israel than anywhere else in the Middle East. Yeah. There's laws to protect slaves. There's certain things that, okay, yeah, every fifth or every seven years, you actually have to let your slaves go. Yeah. And slavery in that time was far, far, it was not race based. It was a lot of times if I owed, Cor- let's say I owed you 10 grand and I'm like, I can't pay this, I would go, okay, I'm just going to become your slave you. and I'll work it off. Yeah. And then they were let go. So, and then you get to the New Testament and you see nowhere in the New Testament does, does anywhere say slavery is wrong, but you see Paul and Peter and others write as they're kind of like, I, I view them as from the inside trying to overturn slavery. Yeah. Right. And so there, a lot of times for the churches, they would write and it's actually, there's no male or female anymore. There's no slave or free. And you go, whoa, that's. That's countercultural. Yeah, and that culture would have been. And then there's an entire book, Philemon, where Paul says, okay, you slave master and you slave, you guys are brothers in Christ now. Yeah. And that changes everything, right? So, yeah. so there's so much that you can make the argument, God approves of slavery because he never once condemns it. Well, be careful because yeah. all throughout the Bible, he actually does, yeah. but he just never outright says it, if that makes yeah. sense. Now, what about this argument that this person made that, the church is a type of polygamy since we're all the bride of Christ. <laughs> yeah. I, I would encourage if you're listening to this, that that's, I I don't want to encourage it. I can hear what you're saying, but it's wrong. <laughs> like as, as, as gently, but firm as, as can be, I hear what you're saying, but you're wrong. So throughout the New Testament, Scripture defines the church as one body. And that's not just the North Peace MB is one body, Evangel is one body, Alliance. No, all of the churches of Christ are one body. All of the churches that believe that Jesus lived, died, rose again, mm-hmm. is the Son of God, you are one body right the individual members of that body make up the whole singular bride of christ that's good yeah um and so we as the whole church around the globe are the singular bride of christ yeah jesus has one bride yeah when he returns he comes for his church 
not for each one of us individually. Yeah. Yeah. The, the language in scripture is actually, this is a, a something that I'm, I don't know when it started, but it's within the last little while is in by little while. I could mean even hundred years, 200 years type thing. Sure. Um, the, the idea that Christ is returning for you personally is a very modern idea. The language used in scripture, yes, you are counted a part of that, right? right? And, and we all have a personal relationship with Christ, but the language that's used is that Christ is returning for the church as in all of the people of the church. Yeah. It's, yep. it's, there's zero focus on you specifically, yep. right? Yeah, that's so really then, good. So then to, to think that Christ is returning to be united with his bride yourself. No. It's just not accurate to what scripture describes. It's no. not accurate to what we actually see. If there was stuff like that, then who cares about unity in the church? Yeah. Right? Yep. Because if there's no unity in the church, but he's coming just for the individuals, then who cares? But he's yeah. not. He's coming for the church. The The bride of Christ, the church, is meant to be sanctified and yeah. purified yeah. so that when he returns, that marriage feast that we see in Revelation is, is beautiful, right? Yeah, it's really good. Jesus is not returning for 10 million brides. The Bible doesn't say, Corland, you are the bride, and yeah. I'm the bride, and you're the bride. You just, yeah. You are a part of the bride. Yeah, it's a collective. The church is one, and we yeah. are one bride. So... To say that, like, well, it kind of is presenting as a polygamous relationship. It's actually not at all in the slightest. Yeah. So, but so, I, I get maybe why you would think that. But yeah, Jesus, I, I'm, uh, we fo I think partly is yeah, because we focus so much on just my personal yeah. relationship with Jesus. Yeah. But the Bible is actually much more. Uh, focuses on the people of God as one, yeah. not you individually. Yeah. So, so if if you're curious where we would get that from, it's it's a line throughout Scripture that we see about like even back in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, right? The the people of Israel, and and it's never yes, God uses individuals, and we yeah. see that throughout history, right? Even now, we see that that God works powerfully through certain individuals at certain points of time. Yeah. Um. But that is simply to bring forward the purpose of building his nation, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I would encourage you, if you're struggling to see that, to to start reading through the, the narrative of Scripture and mm -hmm. look at the language that's used about God's people. It's And just notice, and, and I, I can guarantee you'll see it, that the language is not individualistic mm -hmm. of each person in that nation. Yeah, so uh, to summarize, like, yes, just because the Bible does not give a, you know, b but I should clarify, just because the Bible <laughs> doesn't give a specific verse, thou shall not have multiple wives, does not mean that, oh, it's okay then. Yeah. And the Bible does, in Deuteronomy 17, give us a little glimpse into how God actually views it. Guys, kings, don't take multiple wives for yourselves. Yeah. And then you just, exactly what you did, I'm say, I'm speaking to you who submitted the question. Yep. You were bang on. Like, that's exactly right. Okay, the original design for marriage, that's really important. Yep. Um, how did polygamy go for anybody in the Bible? Really terribly. Yeah. Um, and, and then um, there, there'll be part of it where you go, do I know why God uh, allowed it? No, I really don't. He seems to in his sovereignty. Allows not just him. kill David right away for taking a multiple wife. He he allows it. Yeah. Even though he doesn't approve of it. Yeah. So so you answered that question exactly how I would have. Yeah. Um, and I know maybe it feels muddy because 
uh, as Christians, we want, I want the, give me the verse that says that, but there's lots of examples where we just don't have that. And yet we, we, we can build a case from all of scripture, right? I hear it lots where, well, Jesus never once addressed homosexuality. Okay. Okay. Well, let's time out. Because you're right, there is no verse where Jesus yeah. says, "Hey, it's wrong." Yeah. But what does the entire Bible say about it? Yeah. So it's yeah, that's it's a very good point. We we want to look at Scripture mm-hmm. as a whole, right? Because mm-hmm. all of Scripture is one narrative that points to Jesus, and yeah. so the Old Testament and New Testament alike are valuable for stuff like this. Totally. Yeah. So well done. Now I know this person asked a second question. But we we already answered that, so I'm just saying this for the person listening. She uh, she asked, it, "It does the Bible say anything about what happens to baby or children, babies or children when they die? If we're all born sinful, is the baby that dies sent to hell? Is there or is there a period of grace?" Did we, you check which episode that is? That we no, did? but I'll just email this person afterwards. Okay. But we did answer that question. But I just wanted to make sure we we're not avoiding it. Yeah, uh, we we did answer that in a previous podcast. So. Wow. There you go. Episode go. 79. Um, one thing that we were going to say is I think we're going to stop doing uh, reacting to clips. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons why, as Corlin and I talked, um, the idea began as, okay, we want to we want to teach people how to have discernment by showing b- really bad clips. And here's how we break it down. But we've just kind of said it's just really hard to do that without having a, a negative spirit behind it. Yeah. Without just being, uh, just making fun of them. Yeah. If that makes sense. So we just said, you know what? There's other ways to di- to to teach people how to discern scripture rather than. I mean, yeah, we laugh at stuff like that because it just seems so ridiculous. Yeah. But we just thought, well, doing we it from a, a public standpoint type yeah, deal. We don't is need to not, do that anymore. Not necessary and not right. So yeah, we won't be doing that anymore. yeah so if you're wondering why are they doing those things that's that's why but we'll keep answering questions so uh as always if you have questions please email us or text us or send your questions in we love to answer them and hopefully this has been helpful episode 79 and we'll talk to you next week